You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 353 of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. I'm Eric. I'm Dan. And who's the bitch ass now as we close out our Chattanooga Film Festival coverage talking about the remaining uh, feature films that we saw. We, we talked about bitch ass last time. And so, you know, since the last two episodes, the, uh, the, the thing that I said at the beginning was not in the, <laughs> not the <laughs> movies that we talked about. All three of these are disjointed. It only made sense to start this one with um, with an intro not related to what we're going to Going back around to the past. Exactly. Very, yeah. very cyclical. All right. We have a number of films that we are going to try to get through. And that number is several. I think 15. I don't know. 15, I think. Yeah, that's what I, I believe that's the number you gave me before. Mm. Yeah, but that number might not be accurate. All right, so we are going to do the same thing that we did uh, in the first of our Chat Film Fest coverage. So if you listen to that, where we did our movie roulette, where we randomized and letterboxed the... uh, That's not the app that I'm trying to pull up. I can't talk and pull up things (coughs) on my phone. Where we randomized the list that I created and letterboxed to determine which movies we're going to be talking about. We're going to do that again, because you know what? Why not? So I am doing uh, what the professionals call stalling while I <laughs> get to Letterboxd. All right. So. It uh, was beautiful, Nathan. It was very good stalling. <laughs> first up, you can. Uh, no, that was, I was about to make a dumb joke. And Truly I'm really professional. I'm just I'm just not going to make that joke. All right. So first up, you're tonight, I'm the most professional. First up tonight, we are talking about Honeycomb. Honeycomb, directed by Avalon Fast. Uh, this was... Um, I, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, I, I remember us talking about this during our pre-Fest episode where the story looked really intriguing, but it definitely looked rough around the edges. Like It looked like a bunch of high school kids made it because a bunch of high school kids made it. And... Um, it's it because of the incredibly lo-fi the um the the production is something that i know is going to turn a lot of people off but it's also something that you're going to know really quick whether or not you can get past it uh if if you can get through the first few minutes and not just be completely bouncing off of of that incredibly lo-fi aesthetic um then I think that there is a lot of good stuff there. I think that I, I think that the story that's being told for me outweighed all of the rough around the edgesness. Um, and and yeah, there's uh, I, like so many, like all of these movies, we could easily do a full episode discussing some of the issues that uh, that that are brought up. But it's basically Lord of the Flies, but a 
girls in a cabin in the woods. Um, yeah. Uh, Eric, yep, you did not good. have a chance to see this one, right? But Dan, you did. Yes. Yes. I, did not. I'm this, I, I enjoyed this one quite a bit because it gave, at least for me, it reminded me of that two-week span after you graduate high school. And you you don't really have to necessarily, you know, if you're, you're not working at that time, you don't have a job to start, you don't have, you're not paying for an apartment, you, you're just kind of existing in a, a space yeah. where you where you don't know what to do. No one's really asking you much to, you know, asking much of you. So the things like, Hey, let's live in this abandoned shack in the woods and start a cult kind of sound like a not bad of an idea. Right. It's like, well, yeah, I've got time. Why not? You know? Yeah. And let's like, inv- let's invite those boys out who have, have a band. Yeah. Let's bring them to, you know, and, you know, maybe we don't go as far as like, you know, the Lord of the Flies aspects with the create, creating of the, the rules and that type of thing. But but the rules that they created. Oh, man. Like, it's so simple. The But like, it's the same thing with Lord of the Flies. Very, very simple rules <clears throat> that very quickly and very easily got distorted with some mm-hmm. horrific consequences to the people for whom the rules did not uh, benefit. <laughs> same thing with Honeycomb. Like, very simple rules. But like even even when they were saying the rules, I was like, "Well, this isn't going to end well," um, and and surprise, it didn't. Uh, also, we should probably say we are going to do our best not to spoil any of these movies because uh, they are either still on the festival circuit or uh, do not yet have a release date, or for some of them, might not ever have a release date. So we are keeping our reviews way more condensed than usual. We're not going to be able to get into nearly as much depth, but we're still trying to address, uh, you know, some of the feel and some of the themes uh, and, and why we think people should check them out. But, uh, but yeah, with honeycomb, I, again, I really enjoyed it. Uh, th- there was a lot of stuff that was brought up. I, I think the way that I described it was if all of my awkward high school memories got together and made a film <laughs> based <laughs> off of Lord of the flies and Midsommar um, with just a dash of, and I can't remember what that dash was, uh, but but yeah, it it brought up a lot of very interesting adolescence sucks and and trying to navigate the your way through it and discover your own identity is difficult on its own. But then when you're dealing with peer pressure, that makes it even more difficult. And when that peer pressure is uh, incredibly distorted by a a really fucked up sense of power. Um, it just I, I feel like this tapped into very relatable emotions mm-hmm. in a very unrelatable way. Like it, it seems like the kind of thing that lots of people would want to do, but no one ever actually goes through with because they just up yeah. and leave. Um, yeah. Much like making a movie. Like, I mean, I feel like that's a good, like the movie itself is a good analog for the story that they're trying to tell. And this is me trying to add my two cents in without having seen the film. <laughs> um, I but mean, yeah, we've, I, we've I, got I 15 movies. That, it's okay if you throw your two cents in uh, on other films. Sure, sure, yeah. But I, I am kind of bummed I missed this because it, it looks like a lot of fun. It, it it literally looks like it was shot with like a Sony Handycam that they bought in 2003 or something. Yeah. Uh, it's got like a higher frame rate, you know, uh, and some like fun. I'm watching the trailer for it right now and like some zoom ins and stuff. Um, but yeah, I like, the, I like the DIY aesthetic to it. And uh, it reminds me of like being a dumb kid running around in the backyard making 
horrible home movies with my buddies. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Only it looks like far more accomplished than anything I ever did at this age. Yeah. Uh, so okay. my hats off to them. Like, again, most people want to do things like this and don't do it. So like they went out and they made it and it looks great. One thing that I do want to say, and this is not a critique of the film necessarily, but it is a, a heads up uh, for people who do have a chance to see it. I expected this movie to get so much darker and so much weirder. And I didn't necessarily expect the entire movie to be like balls to the wall, just absolute crazy the entire time. But the the trailer and just where things started and, and because again, it very quickly harkens to again, Lord of the flies. I was expecting a little bit of a slow burn with a huge ramp up at the end to where by the end, like just everything had gone to shit. And it doesn't quite get there. Um, so that, that's that's more of just a, a heads up because of how uh, extreme I thought that it was going to get. It doesn't quite get there. The things that do happen, uh, again, I think that they um, really tap into some raw emotions and, and they get into, again, why adolescence is just so fucking difficult. It just doesn't get as extreme as, uh, as I was expecting it. So that's just a heads up. Um, that it is a bit of a slow burn, but it might not necessarily burn into a, uh, a huge ablaze by the end. Uh, but yeah, still really, really enjoy that. All right. Next up, speaking of things going ablaze, the ones you didn't burn. Mm. I love this movie. <laughs> I did not see this movie. <laughs> I love this movie. I found this movie enjoyable. <laughs> this is one that's a it's a rustic film uh, movie right like yeah yeah so yeah. like so many modern indie horror movies uh it's it's very focused on family dynamics there is more of that sort of slow burn style building up to uh, to where things go at the end and and also with a slow burn that doesn't always necessarily mean that it's slow burning into an explosive conclusion this is uh, Again, movies are very personal, and some people are really going to latch on to movies. Other people are not, and that's very understandable. This is a movie that um, this is a movie that, because of some of those family dynamics, and because of the way that uh, that incorporates a history of addiction, and because it uh, you know plays with some uh, uh, gender stereotypes and uh, gender roles, I feel like there's a lot going into this movie. And I, I, I really want to get into the end of it, but I can't for reasons. <laughs> Most of those reasons being what I just said of not wanting to spoil things. But this is a movie that if you're able to connect with it, I think that it is really, really, really going to draw you in. And when it gets to the end, um, I, I know that I just used this as an example, but I'm going to use it as an example again. Much like in uh, Midsommar, when it gets to the end, if you are not on board with the story that's being told and if you're not connecting to the characters that, uh, that I think the movie is trying to get you to connect with, I think that it's very easy to get to the end and think, well, that's not a fair ending. That's, hmm, what's, what's going on here? But... If you're able to connect to them and and if you uh, get into the story, and, and again, I think there's a lot to analyze with this one. If you let yourself get into it, I think that by the end, there's a whole lot of just like, oh, that's what they're trying to tell. 
Oh, oh, fascinating. And and again, I can't get into it right now because, again, I'm wanting to not spoil the ending uh, and why it matters. But this is one of the movies that I absolutely adored. And and I think that there is a ton to analyze. But again, I also recognize not everyone's going to latch onto it the same way that I did. So, yeah. No, I feel um, if you are a fan of uh, what was it, the Dark and the Wicked that came out a few years ago, this has a very similar vibe. I don't know if I saw that one. Well, then that that comparison is useless. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was such a funny. Like, well, fuck it. Uh, I really wanted to watch the Dark and the Wicked, but I never got around to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard, I heard really good things about it. Uh, <laughs> I heard it's an awful lot like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was from uh, that was direct, directed by uh, Brian Bertino, who did. Mm. Uh, it was like the did he direct uh, the Strangers or just write it? He directed the Strangers and the Monster. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's up Nathan's alley. I feel like. Wait, wait, the the Monster. That's the one with the the mom and daughter. Right in the woods. Yeah, yeah. Like oh yeah, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another film he directed that's much like this one. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 again, and again, if you don't mm-hmm. connect to those movies, because they because they are so driven by character, if you don't care about the characters, if you don't connect to them, then it's going to be really hard to care about the story. And if you don't care about the story, it's going to be really hard to enjoy the story. This one did bring me into it. I did get connected. Uh, and that I, 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 I love this one. Um, this is one of the other films uh, that we do have an interview lined up. So uh, I, I hope that the two of you can make it. But if you can't, I'm at least going to be digging into a lot of, yeah, but what did it mean? Uh, so yeah, this, this is one that, Again, my, my over-analytical brain has way too much fun with. All right. We still have a whole lot to get through, so let's move on to the next one. And I know that both of you are going to have something to say about this. Next up, Breathing Happy. Hi. Uh, by Shane Brady. Dude. <laughs> good. Dude. Yes. This was a very fun film. Well, fun, <laughs> fun, yeah, fun might not be the right one. Well, I mean, there are some really fun sequences. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, who doesn't have fun with the doors? <laughs> no. Well, Tim Morrison shows up at one point. <laughs> he could He could have. It would have fit. It would have, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, breathing Happy. Um, again, uh, we mentioned this on the last episode and possibly the episode before, but we we recorded an interview um, with, with Shane where we've really dug into the movie with him. And um, and it's, God, it's so good. It it like so many of these movies it taps into the emotion of someone dealing with their past decisions and and it just i don't know i i thought that it was hilarious i thought that it was heartbreaking um i i loved uh how it was edited together to give you a quasi dream state not really sure what's real not really sure what isn't but it doesn't matter what's real because it's all his experience I, I adore breathing happy. Uh, we're not going to spend too much more time talking about it right now because we uh, we have that interview that we are going to be releasing very soon. But yeah, that interview also went on for like two and a half hours. Like it is a very very long interview. We also went on to a lot of tangents though. 
a lot of tangents is very true. Uh, we talked about the movie a lot too, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's this, it's a difficult movie to describe. And we even talk about that in the interview about how like, it's hard to even pitch the, the idea of the movie, but it's, yeah, it's like this, uh, narrative that kind of unfolds in this very unconventional way. That's, um, like Shane Brady's character is kind of an unreliable narrator where there are, um, these kind of dreamlike sequences that will intrude on his reality. He's a recovering drug addict. Um, and he is in the process of, he, he's, he's about to be like, reaches one, one year of sobriety on Christmas day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has this almost kind of Christmas Carol like aspect of it where he's being kind of taunted by the sins of his past to a certain extent. And, the memories of his family and um, it's, it's a really fascinating drama with some really funny bits. There's a, as we, we kept talking about the doors, there's a a multiple sequences where he is arguing with the doors in his home. Uh, (laughs) One of, one of which is played by Aaron Moorhead. The other one, Sarah Bulger. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a really bizarre movie. That's very introspective. Um, and an incredible technical achievement. I really, really love this movie. Um, Shane Brady is definitely a filmmaker to watch. Um, and you can also see him in uh, a bunch of other movies, like most of the Benson Moorhead mm-hmm. films and uh, Dr. Sleep. He has a little cameo as a magician. Um, but yeah, love Breathing Happy, one of my favorites of the fest by far. Yep. And it was the uh, world premiere at CFF. Uh, yeah, also- world premiere, and it won the uh, audience award Yeah, for feature. Yeah. So clearly uh, we're not the only ones to enjoy this film. <laughs> clearly not. Also, uh, you giving the short description reminded me I forgot to read the descriptions. So let me uh, just catch up on that before we get too far into it. Breathing happy in this mind bending drama. A recovering drug addict can achieve one year sobriety alone on Christmas Day, but his demons tempt him to relapse. And then I will scroll down to the ones you didn't burn and give the description on that one. As I fill time scrolling down to it, this makes for great podcasting, doesn't it? Here we go. The Ones You Didn't Burn, directed by Elise Fennerdine. After their father passes away, two siblings return to their old family farm to sell off the land. However, darker forces may be at play that will force them to reanalyze their relation to their ancestors' land. I don't know about the two of you, but sometimes I really love it when the description of the plot tells you literally nothing about what to expect from the movie it's like that's my favorite kind i don't like plot plot sucks well no it's like yes these are technically accurate descriptions of the plot but also like so doesn't prepare you for what the movie actually is all right honeycomb directed by avalon fast five girls stray from society on the hunt for something more special you can find them if you follow the sound again accurate doesn't actually you anything about what it is about all right next up is thrilling bloody sword which mm. is did, did either of you have a chance to catch a thrilling yeah. bloody sword yeah, go mean, ahead and describe the plot of that one go for <laughs> it. all right uh thrilling bloody sword directed by uh sin yi cheng i apologize if i mispronounce that if He-Man and the Masters of the Universe dropped acid with the Shaw Brothers while knocking out a martial arts horror fantasy movie 
That movie would be thrilling bloody sword. This head spinning slice of Taiwanese psychotronic cinema builds a movie out of uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, impossible fight scenes and wild monsters that include a cyclops, a pterodactyl and Satan himself. Previously only available via VHS bootlegs. Gold Ninja Video is proud to present this hallucinogenic Fantasia in a new 2K preservation from the only known 35 millimeter print in existence, courtesy of the Chicago Cinema Society Film Archive. This movie, I didn't realize that it was a a, a really fucked up version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but it absolutely makes sense. These now. seven small men didn't give it away. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. God bless. This movie is so bizarre and so amazing. And here's the weird thing, Dan. I don't know if you experienced this, but with this description. I was expecting to walk into just uh, it 96 minutes. So I was expecting to walk into an hour and a half of just what the fuck is happening. And I didn't walk into that. I walked into that's a really weird opening scene that reminded me a little bit of Beastmaster. And then it was kind of slow for a little bit. Not bad slow, but just not what I was expecting. And then when it starts to get bizarre, it's like, oh, that's why it's weird okay yeah cool yeah this is this is a must watch for like fans of like you said beastmaster crawl you know those those types of early 80s sword and sorcery slash sci-fi fantasy you know films where they were just throwing anything they could at the wall to make make a movie and uh, yeah, this film's fucking magnificent. It's insane. Please get this out in physical media immediately so that this film is not lost forever. Uh, <laughs> I love how oh my I, I I there's so much I want to talk about, but I don't want to spoil things. But I love that there's a bear and I love that there's a quasi Tinkerbell-esque character who's kind oh, yeah. of shit at her job and <laughs> Well, so so was Tinkerbell, so it's it, it's right on the money. Well, it's like she has magical powers, but when they ask for her for help, she's like, "Oh, I can't do that." It's like, "What? What?" Mm-hmm. It's oh my god, this movie. Yeah, I uh, I didn't watch this one, but I, and I'm so so sad that I did not get to because it looks absolutely bonkers. And it's gorgeous. There's so much color in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I have the trailer pulled up right now, and it is just a feast for the eyeballs. Uh, yeah. And there's lots of fun little monster-looking creatures. Yeah. Uh, there's like an egg that has a bunch of dragon heads coming out of it. There's like yeah. a kaiju look. It's not a kaiju, but it's like a guy in a monster suit. Uh, this yeah. just looks like it's everything. Like that Clash of the Titans type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, At yeah. one point, I think a dude is fighting like just a leg. Um, it's it's like all of the it, it's like if all the Disney movies got together mm-hmm. and like all started doing shrooms and acid. Yeah, and William S. Burroughs got really fucking high and <laughs> all the scripts for the Disney films, and then just put them back together, and then you know threw in stuff from Crawl and Beastmaster and Clash of the Titans in there as well. Yeah, because you've got, it again, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but you also have a bit of Cinderella with, you know, like trying to dress up for the prince and he's trying to find her. But then you also mm-hmm. have some Aladdin uh, with the two uh, 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 wizards being essentially Jafar. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're a fan of Disney princess movies, 
<laughs> Please watch through, through, a, through, a, through a much different lens. <laughs> <laughs> through through the best lens. All right. Next up is uh, if I remember correctly, Dan, your favorite movie of the fest. And I'm not going to Oop. give you a chance to say what it is in case you say the wrong one. So next up, we are talking about a pure place. Wow. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. That was not my favorite film of the fest we discussed last episode. We, we did? With Don, with Don Breaks Behind the Eyes. Oh, oh yes, right, 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 right. Yeah, uh, a, a pure place uh, right. was right up there, though, because damn, I love me some cult films and cult films that are based around soap and exploitation of children. Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> so up, up your it's place. Like, it's, it's, if Tyler Durden decided to use child labor, <laughs> you know, instead of disaffected men. <laughs> You've got a pure place. <laughs> Pretty much. So a pure place directed by uh, Nikias Chrysios. I apologize again if I mispronounced that name. Um, award-winning director, uh, whose name I just mispronounced, of Der Bunker, follows up on his success with the story of a young and feverish boy named Paul who must challenge the obsessive community that surrounds him in order to free his sister from the nefarious conspirators of the cult leader, Fust. And once again, technically accurate. not what it is at all this movie was engrossing beginning to end it was it was beautiful it was disgusting um there there's a certain scene where i'm not going to give too much of a spoiler but there's a certain scene where they are drinking the purest water on earth and i (laughs) knew before they showed where it came from was like nope that's going to be disgusting. And then they showed it and it was like, yep. It's, yeah, but it's, it feels like that's so on the money for cult leader behavior. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it is. It is a beautiful cult movie. It is, again, so disturbing. Um, I, I feel like so it's this, pretty like Greek Island. Yeah. Gorgeous location. Well, and like it, it feels like it's uh, dealing a little bit with maybe some environmental uh, environmentalism, sort of, with just uh, the the relationship between like trash and cleanliness. But yeah, if if we for did anyone a- who's ever looked side eye at a hippie who thinks they know, you know, all the ways to save the earth, <laughs> this film is <laughs> this is not one of the ways to save the earth. Uh, <laughs> If we were to do a full episode on this, we would easily spend an hour talking about uh, talking about power dynamics and talking about like sexual predators and talking about like a, a dude in power and uh, the unusual sway that germaphobic cult leaders seem to have over large swaths of the population. Yep, and not just in in Greece, but in many other places, maybe even the country that we currently live in. Yep. It's like, it, it is so, and the, the thing that is most fascinating about it and why I was so drawn to it. And so like my brain would not stop. It almost presents it as, yep, this is what it should be. Like it, it's done so in a way that, uh, people who I think their views on the world are incredibly fucked up would be watching this movie like yeah that makes sense well the cult leader is i mean you see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff later but he he is like cleaning up the garbage of the world because the garbage lands on his island and 
Right. You know, he's trying to, he is trying to make the world a better, cleaner place. As with most cult leaders, he probably takes it too far. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably not. No, he definitely takes it too far. I don't want to stand behind that statement. Um, <laughs> he, he subjugates people who are dirtier than him. Like Yes. And there's only one way to become pure in his eyes. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. so disturbing on so many levels uh, in, in ways that it absolutely is is tapping into, into a lot of things to discuss. Yeah. I also like that the um, the force that rises up against him is uh, a child. Yep. Um, I, I just think that's a really fun way to do that because so often when it comes to these types of power dynamics, it's the younger generation that has to like come in and and clean up the mess uh, to a certain extent, or like have this responsibility foisted on them that they never really wanted to begin with, and also that children are just really good at seeing through adults' bullshit. Um, and then we also, this is one that Nathan, you and I, we, this is the only one I did like a watch party for. Um, and that was a really fun way to experience this film, talking with a bunch of other people at the fest. We did it like late, late on a it was Sunday or something. Well, and like there was, was uh, the, the little kid, doesn't he have a line where it, like he's, he's like chanting, I am shit or something. I'm slime. I am. Yeah. Yeah. But it and just, we were like literally chanting in the chat. <laughs> was, <laughs> it was like it was sort we of like hashtag team it. Paul. Yeah, it was. Oh God, this it was, was a lot of fun. So good. It also has the absolute best final shot of any movie at the fest. The final <laughs> shot of this movie is a fu- is a fucking great punctuation mark. Absolute like just slam dunk of an ending. Loved it so much. Yeah, I might or might not have posted in the chat uh, a gif of the uh, post credit scene of um, Dodgeball. I love this movie. This movie better get a physical release. It better show up on on Shutter or Prime or something. This is one that I I cannot wait to watch again. And when it gets released, we are definitely going to be doing a full review on it at some point. We we need a we, maybe we can do a soap based theme. There's more than sixteen soap based movies, right? Right. Sure. Yeah. We could do like a could we do like shampoo? Will that count? Soap sure, dish. Why not? Yeah, we'll, we'll have to broaden it a little bit. We can totally make that work. All right. Next up, because we still have a lot to get through. Uh, next up is Mystery Spot, directed by Mel House. A number of lost souls find refuge in a small motel in the middle of nowhere. Uh, its only distinguishing characteristic being the ruins of an old mystery spot, a long dead roadside attraction with strange metaphysical powers. Nathan and Rachel find solace in one another, both attempting to escape dark paths that seem to be using the mystery spot to go from being painful shadows of their lives to very real entities of the present. Everyone at the mystery spot will be affected by its unique properties but only some will survive its reality shattering implications. Uh, this is one that um, like a few of the other films, maybe a little rough around the edges. Uh, some of the acting might not be quite as refined, but I think that the story was a really interesting story. It felt very twilight zone esque. Uh, you know, it, it felt like all of these people were stuck in purgatory where they, and you know, I, I don't think that they actually explicitly say this. So I hope that this isn't a spoiler, but it feels very purgatorial uh, where they're being haunted by their poor decisions in the past and uh, and like how and, and how their decisions uh, continue to shape the way that they are currently dealing with things uh, and not quite generational trauma, but it's definitely looking at, um, at, at how 
again, how our decisions, how our trauma shapes who we are and how that shapes who we are moving forward. Uh, this one uh, did have Graham Skipper, and I always adore Graham. I think that he is amazing in everything that he does. Uh, and so he, he was definitely one of the shining spots of the mystery spot for me. Uh, but yeah, this one, um, again, like so many movies, if if you don't connect to it, stylistic differences, not everyone's going to love every movie. Um, but I really, really enjoyed this story. Um, and, and yeah, uh, this is one that I definitely think people should check out if they get a chance. All right. Next up is One Road to Quartzsite, which I keep misreading because every time that I see it, I read that as uh, One Road to Quartzsize, and and I think that it's going to be like a pseudo follow-up to Supersize Me, but that's not what it is <laughs> at all. Uh, nope. <laughs> not that's even a little. All right, so One Road to Quartzsite is somewhere. Uh, Each winter, hundreds of thousands of snowbirds flock to Quartzsite, Arizona, an offbeat camping and RV haven sitting comfortably between L.A. and Phoenix. Known as the desert phenomenon, this little-known pocket of sand serves as a temporary home to nomadic families, retirees, veterans, people experiencing homelessness, recreational drug users, deeply religious believers, and diehard gym and rock enthusiasts. For many, this eccentric oasis is safe, supportive grounds in contrast to conventional mainstream society. Kids play freely in the desolate outdoors, climbing trees, brainstorming blueprints of their own religion. Retirees connect through scheduled activities at the community center or by paying visits to the naked booksellers Reader's Oasis (laughs) or the famous High Jolly Cemetery. Those who typically migrate solo find community with their fellow wanderers when they reminisce on their winding roads to Quartzsite. Wow, that is a uh, long description. Was, was, and, that, uh, was that IMDb? Sounds like it just tells you everything about the movie. <laughs> was, it, was that Great. IMDb or Letterboxd? That was IMDb. Okay. Uh, so yeah, this one directed by Ryan Maxey, uh, M-A-X-E-Y, is a, it's a documentary about Quartzsite. And it... Okay, so I, I love this movie. I love this documentary. It was great. I, I really enjoyed every single second of it. Um, and I need to say that on the front end because otherwise what I'm about to say would sound like a critique. And I don't mean it as a critique. I love this documentary. I, I, I enjoyed every single second of it. You know how most documentaries have like a story or like a beginning, middle, and end or like mm-hmm. there's some specific thing that they're trying to communicate. Uh, like we talked about the, uh, the Mike Mignola uh, documentary where it's looking very specifically at his life. One mm-hmm. road to Quartzsite feels like you just showed up in this town and like, that's it. Like it, it just feels like you showed up and there's not really any context. It's not like it's, um, it, it's not like it's following any specific characters that you're trying to go through this arc with them. Right. It's just here's some snippets. Here's what this it's person just a snapshot of here's, a time and place. And and because of that, like that's part of what made this such a beautiful and amazing documentary is I could just kind of be absorbed in in what was happening in the town. I didn't feel like it was trying to to really focus on a specific character. I didn't feel like it was trying to, you know, give some sort of very specific story. It was just here are people. People are fascinating. Let's look at some of them. Let's learn about yeah, some of them. You might say that it's just documenting what life is like in this place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I like that a lot. I think that's it's like, so good. I think 
think that when you're making a documentary, like when you're filming something that is designed to be, you're wanting to portray the reality of it. When you pull out a camera, you're automatically kind of trying to form a narrative around it. And I think sometimes you can see the invisible hand of the director a little too much in documentaries where they're trying to find a narrative where there doesn't really need to be one. Um, and I love the idea of like somebody just going in and just like having conversations with people. Um, and these people all just sound so eccentric and like people who kind of live on the margins of society. And that's like entirely my kind of shit. And I'm so bummed I didn't see this. Yeah. Uh, Cause I've heard so many good things about it. Yeah. It, it was really, really good. And like, there's a, a number of times where other people have a camera, like there's some kids that just have a camera. So they're just recording things. It will like cut in their footage into, uh, in, into the film, but not just in a like cutting to it and showing what they're showing, but in an actual interesting and artistic way to where even though the story itself is very much just nebulous and very much just these are people that exist here. Some of them live here. Some of them are just travelers, but it, it brought it, 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 it elevated this documentary uh, in, in a way that, again, you just don't see that very often. This one. Man, it was so good. I want to see uh, more documentaries by uh, by Ryan Maxey because, again, because of how well this documentary was done, I didn't care about what the story was that was trying to be told. I, I just was enjoying what was being shown to me. So I, I want to see more of that. I want to see just more life <laughs> presented through his cinematic lens. Yeah, sounds great. It was great. Next up is quite possibly one of the horniest movies of the fest and that's saying something because again this was a uh it was a very interesting week next up is model olympia oh i didn't see this one. Oh, you're missing out all right so are you you know how like just a minute ago we talked about how i love it when the description is technically accurate but tells you nothing yes <laughs> get ready get ready all right okay model olympia Directed by Frederick uh, Hambelek. Uh, it is a German film. The description. A mother has designed an unconventional plan to change her son's disturbing obsessions. Is it? Good. Okay. Technically accurate. Good. Okay. So not what you were getting with this movie. Uh, I, I've described this as minor spoilers, I guess, maybe, but also eh, you don't have to really get that far into the movie before you start picking <laughs> up on this. Um, this feels like an Eastern Eastern European interpretation of how Norman Bates became Norman Bates because of his early interactions with his mother. Okay. It's about a young, yeah, it's about a young adult. Um, and his mom, I, I, you know, I'm still unclear as to whether he is obsessed with sex and she is trying to break him of that or if she wants him to be more obsessed with sex, it is so bizarre. Uh, it's I I don't even know where to begin with this one, but it it was it was fascinating. And uh, oh, someone else, uh, someone else in the chat, uh, not uh, not the chat we're recording, but someone else in the Discord um, during the fest described it as a. Uh, it, it, that it would work very well as a prequel to Maniac as well. So, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember somebody saying that. Yeah, All so right. if that can give you some sense of what this movie is, a, a 
it would work as a prequel to both psycho and maniac and <laughs> like the the dude is but god i again i don't even know where to start with it um it's it, uh, robert woods's favorite film of the fest he is, says it is his favorite film of the fest it's just it's bizarre and and i i don't mean that in a bad way it was a great movie i was i was enthralled i was captivated but also a little disturbed and like the dude has uh, some sexual obsessions where he likes tying the women up and getting them to pretend that they're dead uh and and like he gets a a, a mannequin and takes it home for reasons it's okay, yeah. there's the maniac connection <sighs> this so movie. is this just kind of like the son becomes obsessed with weird sexual things and then the mother becomes obsessed with the fact that her son is obsessed with weird sexual things maybe i don't know it is uh it, okay. it's it's a drama it's like oh, it's okay. it's not a horror movie so okay. even though i likened it to psycho and maniac it is not horror it is just pure drama it it is it, you know what it would pair well with in tone not in terms of plot you know what i'm gonna say it would not pair really well. Don't. yes you do it would not pair well uh, in terms of plot but in terms of tone and just evoking a very bizarre, I'm not entirely sure what I'm watching, but it definitely is a, a tapping into a very dark part of humanity. This movie would pair great with possession. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. That is, I, that is not what I thought you were going to say, but just from the, the shots I'm seeing from the film, it has that kind of style. It almost looks like it would, uh, it, it seems like it's kind of in the vein of a, uh, oh shit. I can't think of, uh, now I'm doing the, oh shit, Nathan thing. <laughs> the director of, uh, like dog tooth. Um, what's his name? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, your Lanthimos. your goes Lanthimos. Yes. That's what it reminds me of. It feels like it's kind of in it. Like mm-hmm. it looks a bit like it's in that vein. Um, but yeah, I don't, I have no idea cause I didn't see it. Yeah, no, uh, it, comparing it to uh, Lanthimos film would also be another great way to describe it. So, yeah, if if you like uh, Yorgos Lanthimos's films and if you love Possession and if you love Maniac and if you are very curious as to how Norman Bates became Norman Bates, but wanting to watch all of that as a straight drama and not a watch horror film. Half instead of watching all of Bates Motel. Yes, <laughs> but again, <laughs> drama. This is not horror. This is not presented as like he's going out and stalking them and killing them. This is just a, a pure emotional psychosexual drama. And, and it's, it, it was something it was, it was amazing. It was bizarre. It was horny. Sweet. <laughs> yep. All, all good things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, all right. Next up is night shift night shift directed by greg swinson and ryan Thiessen. after a break-in occurs during her first night on the job the lone night shift janitor must fight to survive when she becomes the target of the masked intruders this is a little bit closer to the actual plot of the film uh this was the world premiere and eric you caught no eric you did not catch this one dan you saw this one I yeah. watched like uh, half of it. <laughs> this, was like, this was also that, like a twenty. Not that it was bad. I started it at like two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is a solid home invasion thriller. Only it's not a home; it's a like factory work invasion, right? Yeah, yeah. Which 
makes for a very interesting setting. It looked like it was some sort of um, lumber manufacturing, like wood. A lot of wooden stuff was being built there. Yeah, like a it was, it was a, pictures and yeah. And here's know. here's an interesting thing about that: filmed in an actual like warehouse factory. So it oh, was yeah. over without, the span of however many months. Uh, it definitely made good use of what they had available to film this in. Um, yeah. 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 This one, uh, I, this one was another one that I did as a watch party and I'm so glad that I did. Uh, I had a lot of fun with this one. It's, it's not quite presented as a comedy, but there are enough elements that are funny that it gave it a, an interesting tone that I, I, the parts that were funny were just kind of like breaking the tension it didn't mm. feel like they were necessarily trying to make a joke out of it, except for one scene involving a plunger that it definitely seemed like they were trying to make a joke. Uh, it, it feels like it was inspired a little bit by evil dead just in terms of tone. You know, this, this feels like someone who's watched evil dead over and over and over and over again, wanted to make a non deadite home invasion movie. Um, it, it has some of that feel to it. The, I, I think that there's a really good story at its core. Uh, and when we were watching it, one of the, uh, one of the people in the chat was like, Oh, I totally think that this is what's going on. And they were right. And even though I missed it on the front end, I was like, man, I kind of hope that's not what's going on. I kind of hope that it's this other thing. When I got to the end, I re- uh, went back and I rewatched the opening credits or not the opening credits, but I watched the, uh, the first opening scenes. Cause I was like, Okay, was there enough actually setting this up so that the end reveal doesn't feel like it's out of left field? And yeah, it absolutely sets it up. So it is a, a very clean, tight movie. Um, I, I think that the the setup and payoff works very well. There are some very bloody scenes. Uh, it doesn't get like super gory, but it definitely gets bloody enough to where you feel the pain uh, that some of these characters are going through. Uh, there's there's an emotional heart at the center of it. Uh, I think that the lead actress did an amazing job. You're really rooting her for her for the uh, for the entire film. Um, yeah, this is one that was a, a bit of a surprise hit for me because I didn't know what to expect, and it had been a little hyped during the fest, and I was like, is it going to live up to the hype? And for me, it did. Uh, again, I, I think that it was a a very clean, very simple very direct story with that emotional core uh, and just enough blood to, to give it that sort of fun horror, almost comedy action. Um, and, and yeah, I really, really dug uh, night shift. And I, I won't be surprised at all. If this one gets picked up by shutter. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up. And that was directed by Greg Swenson and Ryan Theus. And I can't remember if you mentioned that or not. I, I did. Uh, oh, you did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I'm undermining your authority every chance I get. I know. I'm used to it, and that's okay. All right. Next up is one of my favorites of the fest, and one that honestly, I'm a little glad that we're uh, talking about it here, kind of in the middle of the episode, so that we're going to be forced to to <laughs> cut ourselves short and not spend two hours talking about it right now. Next up is the leech directed by oh, Eric yeah. Pennykoff starring Graham Skipper, Jeremy Gardner and Taylor Gardner. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. This is, Oh man, the leech. The leech. Uh, so this is the second world premiere of an Eric, Eric Pennykoff uh, film that we have had the, uh, the privilege to be a part of. Yes. 
Um, yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. There's no way I wasn't going to love this movie. I mean, <laughs> I love Sophistic Intention so much. Jeremy Gardner is very high up on my list of man crushes. Graham Skipper, one of the best humans, and giving probably his best performance in any movie I've ever seen him in. Um, he's incredible. Uh, it's a film that's about Christmas and religion and uh, sexuality and uh, just so many. It's so dark and bizarre and goes to some really interesting places. It, this is just like the definition of a movie that is entirely my shit. So I'm going to throw my my very clear bias out up front. Um, this is my favorite movie of the festival. Yeah. So uh, the leech, a devout priest, welcomes a struggling couple into his house at Christmas time. What begins as a simple act of kindness quickly becomes the ultimate test of faith. Once the sanctity of his home is jeopardized, all, all of the same biases that uh, that you started out with, all of those are exactly true for me as well. I adore sadistic intentions. Every time I watch it, I only love it more and more and more. And this this movie almost feels like peak everyone involved uh i i adored sadistic intentions but i think that uh eric pinnikoff really stepped it up with this one and really kind of honed in on how do i how do i tell a very heartfelt story that gets super fucking dark by the end <laughs> and and you're so invested in these characters and and it ramps up throughout the movie that you are so on board with Graham in his um, as, as he only gets more and more excitable throughout the movie, you're on board with it. And, and Graham does an amazing job of playing the very stoic, pious priest. And you know, you, you, you care about him and it's like, Oh, this, this guy is just trying to do good. And I love how uh, I, I love how it presents very dark things in in a good kind hearted way to the point where when he starts making some of the decisions that he makes, you're like, I understand why. And also until oh you don't <laughs> <laughs> and Jeremy Gardner is just like, he is just reveling in all of the Jeremy Gardner esque stuff of it. He's doing a full on Tex Montana accent too, which I <laughs> deeply appreciate. Yeah, there there might or might not be a scene of Jeremy masturbating where he might or might not have really been masturbating when they were filming it. Oh, is, is while like, listening to some some, uh, some death metal like that. And I, I just love after the conversation <laughs> in that scene where he's like, OK, I'm going to get back to this now. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, all right, I got to finish up <laughs> that, that won me over that part. It's, it is so so fucking hilarious and and taylor gardner i think does an amazing job we've talked a number of times on the podcast how her eye roll and sadistic intentions Mm -hmm. is like one of the greatest eye rolls in all of cinema history she has some very very um very distinct facial expressions in this movie so there are a number of things where jeremy is talking and the look on her face you know that he knows exactly what that look is <laughs> Be, because uh, Jeremy and Taylor are, are married in real life. And so watching them on screen, they just bring a very unique chemistry and a very bizarre passion uh, that, that I adore. I love this movie. Yes, yeah. I'm biased. I'm aware that I'm biased. I don't fucking care. I fucking love this movie. 
Yeah, same. Uh, they're they're electric together, and I uh, yeah, I know we've talked to Eric Pennykoff on our podcast multiple times. He did a Black Christmas episode with us, which is very clearly a huge inspiration on this film. I can't even. Remember, he might have even talked about the fact that he was working on this project at the time. It's been a, a while ago. It's probably back in 2019. Yeah, we also uh, had him talk about Breakdown, which has some of that you know kind of escalation of decisions and. Yeah. Well, and he's talked with us about how the thing that I can't remember if he describes it exactly this way, but one of the things he fears the most is the idea of people thinking that they know what's best for you. Yeah. Um, and this is a movie that is very clearly about that fear and the way that religion kind of imposes its will on people. And I love the way that the movie is taking these characters and constantly like they're all so lovable, but you're constantly shifting back and forth between whether or not you think they're lovable or despicable. Um, you know, you, who, who you side with at any given moment is constantly in flux. And I adore movies that are able to pull that off <laughs> yep. in a way that, that like really upsets you because of how much you like these people and how, you know, you, they start off with the best of intentions and slowly lose their way. Um, and of course this is a, a movie that uh, the, a pregnancy figures very prominently in the plot of it and uh, discussion <laughs> of abortion. And unfortunately uh, the movie was made very timely by the fact that the day after it premiered was when Roe v. Wade was overturned. So it took on this whole other significance. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a really, really fantastic film. Uh, also, I just want to point out Taylor Gardner, I think is maybe the MVP of CFF overall. Uh, her interactions in this chat film fest discord were just fucking great. She's an absolute blast. Yeah. Um, love it. Yeah. No, T- Taylor is amazing. I, I love everyone involved in this film. Again, might might be a little biased, but who cares? Uh, if you've seen Sadistic Intentions and enjoyed it, then you will love The Leech. If you've seen Sadistic Intentions and did not enjoy it, The Leech might not necessarily be for you, and that's okay. They're pretty different. I mean, they're not like it's... The, the, okay, they're different in story, but there's there's enough similarities that if you watch Sadistic Intentions and just didn't connect with it i think that some of the same things that you wouldn't connect with might also be present in the leech again that is just they do have some similar themes yeah, yeah. I, my voice just cracked that was weird it hasn't happened since i was yeah. like 13 <clears throat> but uh so uh robert woods uh posted in the chat and i think that this is worth adding to the episode uh he calls it a pulpy cross between planes trains and automobiles mm-hmm. and first reformed and i love that <laughs> absolutely yep <laughs> Mailed it. All right. Next up. With a little bit of what about Bob Miskin? You know, put it. <laughs> but it's more like what about Bielsa, Bob? All right. <laughs> next up. True Believer. Uh, and this is one that, Dan, you had a chance to see, but very sadly, mm. I did not. So I am I am not a true believer. I am a true <laughs> falling asleep through movieser because th- this was also one of the limited window ones, right? Or or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was one of the ones that... I can't remember if it was or not. I remember I watched it at just like an odd time of the day, so probably not. Yeah, and it was also running towards the end of just, I have too many movies, not enough time. Uh, all right, so true believer, as soon as I can keep scrolling down to where that is, <laughs> because I am too terrible about actually having this set up beforehand uh okay once again the description 
might be, you know, factually accurate. Tells you nothing about the movie. So, uh, True Believer, this was the world premiere directed by Alana Purcell. And the description, siblings discover family secrets at a quirky cabin in the desert. That's it. No, it's pretty, pretty damn accurate. <laughs> uh, yeah, this pair of siblings um, kind of down on their luck. They're, they're actually kind of, the sister is kind of a con man. Um, and the brother is... I can't remember if they ever actually say whether or not he is on the spectrum in the film, but he, he is 100% on the spectrum in the film. Sure. So she's, she's constantly kind of looking at him. He's kind of quirky. You know, he likes buying like old family photos at yard sales, that type of thing. Cause they've never really had much of a family of their own. So he pretty much just manufactures a family in a photo album. Right. So, um, but, uh, one of the, one of the parents dies and they inherit this, kind of cabin out in the middle of the desert, which is very fortuitous because they had been living with one of her ex-boyfriends and that ex-boyfriend now has a girlfriend and wants her out. Sure. You know, so, as you do. It, yeah. Uh, so they, they go out to this cabin. Um, turns out like there are people living near there that knew the dad, dad. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of think of a hippier burning man. That's kind of happening near this, where there's a vortex of some sort. Sure. It, it's very non-specific pseudoscience speak, um, and people just keep gathering out there because it's a it's a special place. It's a special place. So that's kind of where the true believer aspect comes in. It's like, you know, do they buy into what this thing that their dad had been researching for their entire life? Do they, you know, take advantage of, you know, all the people that are out there? You know, do they become, you know they've got the opportunity to become like you know, new agey gurus right? or do they just sell it all and walk away from it type of thing. Right. And um, so it is a, it's a really, really cool premise. Um, it doesn't dive all the way into every premise as much as I'd like it to. Right. Um, it kind of balance tries to balance itself between all three. So you never know, really know towards until the end of the film with, where they're going to go, what, what, what outcome they're going to take. Well, and that's, uh, that's something really hard to balance. And, you know, we've talked about this a is. number of times on the podcast, how much we love the Benson and Moorhead films and mm-hmm. how easily, how like so easily one wrong decision would yeah. like take the Benson and Moorhead films from being like, oh, my God, these are amazing to just, mm-hmm. yeah, they're really good. So like, yeah. yeah, that, that is incredibly hard to, to balance, uh, especially if you're trying to look at like the family dynamics and like some sort of quasi supernatural element. And is it real? Is mm-hmm. it not? And yeah, that, that does not sound like it's necessarily an easy one to balance. Uh, it's a tough act for them to pull off. They're giving it their best. I'll give them that. Yeah. And there's some cool locations. Um, the characters are quirky. Uh, so it's almost got like a Twin Peaksy kind of vibe as well with the characters. Okay. That are down. And I would also imagine, depending on when during the week that you saw this, this sounds like it has a lot of those same themes that a lot of other movies during Chat Film Fest had, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the, oh, my parents are dead. Now I need to go back and, and look at this. I mean, we talked about that with yeah. Landlocked and with the ones you didn't burn. And yeah, creating, creating families, creating like new families tended to be an overarching theme with a lot of the films we watched for this. 
I mean, you even uh, even a pure place that was a theme. <laughs> so yeah. it that I could definitely understand that being one of the <laughs> things that, depending on where exactly it hits you, it's just kind of like, all right, yeah, I've I literally have just seen this in six other movies, or which I like, think man, probably when really I thought tapping that was, into it, that was about what had happened. Yeah, was, I watched that towards the end of the fest. So yeah, it was probably like the seventh or eighth kind of time I'd seen that particular theme. Yeah, so, so yeah, I, I can absolutely see uh, if this was like the seventh one that you saw, maybe it's not hitting quite as hard. And that, that's one of the things that's so uh, so wonderful and also so weird about film fests is when there's a lot of themes all coming together. If it's mm-hmm. something that you're able to like latch onto and really like sink your hooks into each film that then gives you another aspect of that can be like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like this film fest, like it's, it's just really getting at the heart of like, what is family? But if it's one of those things that maybe it doesn't latch onto as quick, then it can be like, all right, yeah, what's family? Got it. Okay. Let's, let's, come on, let's, let's move to the next one. Got like 30 other movies I'm trying to see. So I, I can understand why, uh, like when you see it and, and again, that can apply to every movie, uh, during the film fest, uh so yeah true believer um i i'm a fan of the you know like small cast what is family yeah. is is there something supernatural is the supernatural just uh kind of a representation of the uh, like you know coming to terms with your past and trying to grapple all of these things so it sounds like one that i would have really dug but um yeah i i am sad that i missed that all right, next up, because this episode is just getting longer and longer, and we <laughs> need to move on. There's so many things to talk about. Next up is Cryo, and that is one uh, that um, that I caught most of. Now, here's the thing about Cryo. I watched 33 features, I think, over the, uh, over the week, and I think like 39 shorts, and went to like six uh, live events, at least. I did not sleep much at all. The the average over the weekend or over the week was four hours sleep per night. Uh, when, when I was posting the stats of uh, what the previous day was in terms of how much I watched, it was also and how much I slept almost every single morning. It was like, you know, five movies watched, 20 shorts, three hours sleep. <laughs> so by the time yeah, when I, your movies watched is more than your hours sleep, it's <laughs> that's a bad balance to maintain and not just like the number of hours spent watching movies was more than the number of hours slept. It was the sheer number of movies watched. Uh-huh. So like five movies, four hours sleep. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that is a bad combination. It's uh, so not what, a maintain sanity. Well, no, but it does maintain. Fun. Maybe, maybe you should have gotten yourself a cryo tank. <laughs> Only if I could have also had a uh, Ludovico technique, like just, pouring the movies into my eyes while I slept, then I would have been on board. So, uh, so with cryo very, very, very sadly, it was, I think the last thing that I, uh, tried to watch during a, a chat film fest, which means I was beyond exhausted and I was like passing out about every five minutes. So I watched as much of cryo as I could. This was not a, a critique of the movie. This is a I made poor decisions and did not get enough sleep. <laughs> so I was just running on exhaustion by the time that I watched Cryo. So unfortunately, I did miss a lot of it. But the parts that I watched, I did really, really enjoy. So Cryo, directed by Barrett Bergen, 
Burgin, B-U-R-G-I-N. Trapped in an underground facility, five scientists wake from cryogenic sleep with no memory of who they are or how long they've been asleep for. They soon make a shocking realization a killer is hunting them down there and may even be hiding among them. So the thing that is the most fascinating about this is this was a student film. And it maybe there were some parts that you know kind of felt like a student film, but if you hadn't told me this was a student film that made a feature length film, I would have just thought, yeah, you know, it's just an indie film, maybe a little rough around the edges at, at uh, some places, but I never would have thought that this was a student film, and that is like just insane that uh, that it was able again, at least during the parts that I was awake to, to keep my attention as much as my exhaustion would let it for as long as it did. Like I enjoyed everything that, that I was watching. It had, um, you know, sort of like a, uh, and then there were none aspect or like a clue, you know, almost like a whodunit, you know, is it you, is it you, are you the killer? Am I the killer? What's going on here? Um, but, but yeah, this one was really, really fascinating. And, uh, you know, it, it did tap into a lot of, you know, standard whodunits and sci-fi tropes that, that you might expect. But again, it's a student film and it was great. It was it was long. It was 118 minutes, but it was it was really good. And and that is just shocking that a student could make this. That's a long time for a damn student film. That is a very long time. And I think the thing that's the most shocking about it being a student film. I don't know how many student films uh, the, the two of you have watched, but not many sometimes i'm not gonna put this on every student film but sometimes student films feel like student films like they're either trying too hard or like they don't actually know what their focus is and they're just trying the spaghetti approach of throwing everything at the screen and hoping that something sticks or or like they they have very good taste in watching movies but when it comes to trying to recreate them they don't have the same panache as what they're trying to uh, to replicate. A Whenever lot. I think of student films, I always think of that beginning of the movie, the beginning of the uh, Oliver Stones, the doors where Ray and Jim are in film class and Jim just made the most pretentious piece of shit film ever. Yep. And that's what I picture film class to be like. They're like student yeah and, and and again i don't want to say this about every student filmmaker there were some great student uh, shorts that that i did uh, see that we talked about but yeah in general it's kind of safe to assume that a student filmmaker thinks that they are the best filmmaker rather than a student filmmaker knowing oh, yeah. that they need to learn oh and if i'd made a student film it would have been the most pretentious piece of shit ever exactly it would have been <laughs> Yep. If uh, I, I, I made a student film once, is it the most pretentious <laughs> piece of shit ever? It's a music video for Good Charlotte's My Bloody Valentine. So yes, it is. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> uh, and the people that I'm related to constantly to this day, even though I made it a t- ten years ago, still tell me, "Hey, uh, literally, I'm not even kidding when I say this." My dad called me like two or three days ago, like, "Hey, uh, how do I find your uh, My Bloody Valentine music video? I want to show it to someone." And I'm like why what's wrong with you why would you do that it's a warning to them so with yeah, so some please of do not uh look that up on youtube oh is it on youtube oh yeah oh it has like forty one thousand views Jeez. wow that's yeah. mm, it's a, absolutely a student made film shouldn't have told me that while i'm trying to wrap this up so uh yep. so with some of that kind of general statements general stereotyping about student filmmakers 
Cryo did not have that feel. It did not have the feel of this is going to be the most profound and groundbreaking science fiction, you know, futuristic dystopian. It did not have that feel. It was just, hey, you know what's fun? Whodunits. You know what's fun? Sci-fi. You know what's fun? Being stuck underground. <laughs> Sci-fi whodunit underground? Ice. Yes. Let's do that. And and yeah, it, it was very solid. Um, if, if you have a chance to check it out, you know, because it's a student film. Wait, no, it, it uh, there's there's an alarm somewhere. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Cryo is already available on VOD, I think, or it's about to be. So, yeah, yeah so this is one uh, that you can check out uh, very, very soon. And I recommend that you do so. It is. It is worth checking out. All right. Next up. The history of metal and horror. Not the history of metal and horse. The history of metal and horror. Although both would be applicable. Just not for documentary. (laughs) That that would be a very different documentary. Uh, All right. The history of metal and horror uh, is another one that, Dan, you watched. And fortunately, uh, neither Eric nor myself did. And directed by Mike Schiff. Filmmaker Mike Schiff straight up. Uh, I know how to read <clears throat> filmmaker Mike Schiff's straight up blast of a documentary explores the history of heavy metal music and horror and how the two genres have merged over time. Various metal artists share their first introduction to horror, their favorite horror films, their influences and more horror film icons also discuss how their films have influenced the horror genre, their connection to metal artists and why metal and horror work well together. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very, very straightforward documentary. It's, you know, talking heads talking about horror metal or the combination of both. Um, but it does, it's a really good primer for, okay, we're going to talk for half an hour about horror movies and the history of horror films. Right. Then we're going to talk for about a half an hour about the history of heavy metal. Now that you've been primed for both, we're going to combine them. Um, perfect timing right now uh with you know the uh the main character one of the main characters of stranger things being you know a, a big time metalhead uh, uh, my don't, heart. don't spoil it i still have the last episode to go i i um, i i love him the the start of stranger things yeah. i was like man this dude looks too much like a young robert downey jr trying his best to do a captain jack sparrow uh impersonation yeah, I, he, he's my, Eddie? Yes, I did he, not like yeah. Eddie first episode. He's amazing. Oh. He, he reminds me of Polly Shore in the best possible Rick. way. He is my buddy Rick from high school. <laughs> Rick was like four years older than us, but hung around. Play, can, could play everything on fucking guitar you could imagine. Had the largest VHS collection of horror movies I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's Eddie. Um, so this documentary is a especially for like anybody who j- has just kind of tuned into this and, du- you know, has watched stranger things, think Eddie's a neat character, but doesn't know fuck all about heavy metal. Um, this is, this is a perfect documentary. It's like here, this will tell you everything you need to know about the combination. Um, you know, it's got great, you know, talking heads from Alice Cooper from fucking, uh, what's uh, Jericho the wrestler you know mm. Corey Taylor Kirk Hammett um, the stuff with Kirk Hammett is of course great uh, and the then best. there's yeah, I there's, didn't watch it but he's the best yeah uh, also ties into strange things because it's you know master of puppets that Eddie plays towards the end from what I've been told 
Um, it's the best part of the season. Yeah, it yeah. Was, it's so good. And, okay. and for me, it was it was a big big deal because when I first really got into horror it was um, Dream Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street's Dream Dream Warriors, which was sung by the band Dawkin. Dawkin. Um, and it was Rockin like I had, there, was a kid, there was a kid in my class at that point who I'd never really talked to all that much. He was kind of the stoner dude at the back of the bus. Uh, he was, you know, we had nothing in common, but. He was playing Dream Warriors one day through a boombox. And I'm like, is that Dawkin? And he's like, fuck yeah, it's Dawkin. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. We, we have something to talk about now. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's it, it, they talk about this in the documentary where it's like, if you know someone likes horror movies or heavy metal by like the shirts they're wearing, it's an instant like, Hey, you can talk to me, sign. Yeah. You know, if they're wearing a horror movie shirt or a heavy metal shirt. Well, yeah, like as you were telling that story, as you were telling that story, I can picture perfectly, and I have no idea who your friend is. I've never met him, but I can Mm -hmm. picture perfectly how that went down and the fuck yeah, it's talking. Like, I I, I see it perfectly because we all know someone like that. Uh, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm more on the punk side than the heavy metal. I, I like listening to it. I'm not as invested. If this had been uh, like punk rock and horror, it probably would have been the first and last thing that I watched uh, during the film fest. <laughs> and I en- I enjoy metal. It, it, it just you know, wasn't at the top of my list. But um, I had a yeah. massive metal phase around like eighth grade, ninth grade. Like right when I discovered uh, Metallica's Injustice for All, I'm like, oh, I need to hear all of this now. <laughs> And that was me and punk. Well, uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that it gave you the the metal side of the horror side that it brought it together. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it had a lot of energy driving it through because yeah. if this was just kind of like, all right, we're going to talk about heavy metal as we sit here and then just talk mm-hmm. calmly without, you know, this driving music and, you know, bright flashing images. No, but like, yeah, I mean, there's a, how could you not want to hear the guys from Guar? talking about horror movies or you know the lead singer from cannibal corpse talking horror movies you know i am glad to hear that uh that it had the energy that i was expecting yeah, it was to have. highly enjoyable yeah i i watched it with a smile on my face the entire time oh god i i hate that i missed it this <laughs> is also one that i'm not going to be surprised if it ends up on shutter or you know it feels like a, a shutter pickup door yeah uh, all right next up uh we only have two more guys we're so much so almost <laughs> done Ah, I'm I I love Chat Film Fest, and it's also true that um, we've talked so long, and I'm so tired, so tired. All right, uh, next up is a movie that I'm trying to get to. Here we go. Uh, next up is Chicken House, directed by Kate Jones, a subversive comedy about three small town actresses taking in a new mysterious roommate from L.A. Once again, technically accurate, tells you nothing about the movie, tells you nothing about the tone. So uh, this is one that when I first started it, I got to be honest, I was not immediately brought into it. it. It's black and white. It had sort of like a uh, the, 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 the uh, narrative structure is there's like a person behind the camera who's asking questions almost like um, almost like a uh, 
oh shit why am i drawing a blank uh the usual suspects style where it's just you know like the person behind the camera asking the questions and then the the different uh roommates like giving different answers and like trying to piece together what actually happened and then that cuts back and forth between uh you know like the stories that they are telling and then them being interviewed by what sounds like a, and a police officer i don't know <laughs> i don't know if that's ever actually clarified if it was then i just forgot because it's been a couple of weeks <laughs> since i watched it um the the humor is very quirky but it's a very dry quirky and it's three or four uh female roommates all living in la and like they're trying for some of the same roles and it's it, it is such a very unique style that part of the reason that i wasn't immediately on board with it when i started it is because i was a little too worried that it was going to be too inside jokey to inside baseball you know to where the only way you're going to find it funny is if you have been an actress or if you have been in in a similar situation so initially i was i was a little worried about that but it man it grew on me to the point where uh, about halfway through where it got even more bizarre uh i i was just in love with it i was in love with these characters it does a really good job of getting you to know these characters through their interactions rather than like just exposition dumps and you know the the majority of the movie was uh, um, just them talking back and forth it's not like they were doing a ton the the vast majority of it took place um the, the vast majority took place just in their house but it didn't feel like we're gonna spend five minutes of me talking about my history so that you can know more about me because that's how people get to know each other it felt like just people talking and it felt like oh yeah i know you and i know your past not because you've told me about your past but because of the way that you're talking about your present and these characters even though they were exaggerated and even though they were bizarre and one of them might or might not have been a ghost uh even though it was (laughs) yep (laughs) for anyone who can't hear dan's face uh, <laughs> the, the look that Dan just gave me when I said one or one of them might or might not have been a ghost is exactly the feel of the movie where it's just like wait what like I was on board with it what there's a go- wait what but in a way that for me it really really worked um, be, because again like it just it felt so natural and it, these felt like the people that I actually used to hang out with in grad school. This very much feels like, uh, you know, when, when I used to go to the local pub and we would just talk about our day and one of them would just talk about like, Oh yeah, here's this super crazy shit that happened today. It was never like a, Oh my God, it's crazy. It was just kind of like a, yeah, you know, sometimes a cat does break into your car that that happens. Like it just, it felt so genuine even when it started getting absurd and sometimes the absurdity actually made it feel more real because like it was it was very clearly a comedy but it was such a dry comedy that the the humor was never presented as and now here's a joke but bum like it was it was presented in exactly the same the, the exact same tone the exact same metric as the rest of the conversation and so there were times where like wait, was, was that where it was supposed to be funny? Am I supposed to laugh now? Or should I have been laughing three minutes ago? And it just kind of makes you feel ever so slightly awkward 
because the situation itself is awkward and like there's a, a couple of mormon kids that show up and the like the super religious uh, woman in the house like really wants to fuck one of the mormon dudes and <laughs> sounds good it it really was we've all been there we, we really have you know it's the top i mean they are they are sharply dressed i get it <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's all about the power ties um, I, hear about the, I hear they're good listeners yeah got good uh clean energy with all the the yeah. bicycles I've, I've seen orgasmo they know what they're doing <laughs> <laughs> so chicken house like clean cut young lads chicken house is one that that you you have to stick with it now if it catches you right off then great you're gonna love it throughout but this is one that I could see someone starting to watch it, not loving it immediately. But if you just kind of just stop being, you know, a jerk for a minute and just like sit with it, it's like, all right, let me just get to know these characters. I'm not I'm, I'm not even going to worry about the movie itself. I just want to get to know these characters and just do that. Just follow the characters when bizarre things start happening and, and when they start again, just it's it it's so silly um i i loved it i really loved this one by the time that i got to the ending and i am so so glad that i stuck with it and it's one that again the style it being black and white it having that uh sort of interrogation narrative uh book ending all of it there are a number of things that i could see people not loving but trust me give this one a shot if you just get to know these characters uh you will want to know more about their story and i definitely did it uh it was 82 minutes and by the time that i got to the end i was like you know what i i could do another 15 minutes of this if it had run just a little bit longer i would have been a lot happier with that uh not saying that it was too short but when it got to the end i wasn't like all right cool it's over it was like huh yeah but what about and so uh so yeah i was really drawn into it um because this one is a bit more obscure, I, I don't know if this one's going to get picked up. I hope that it does. I, I think that it's definitely worth checking out, but this is one that I think is probably going to be, you know, like on the festival circuit for a while and really, really hope that it gets picked up. Um, but this doesn't, it, it doesn't have quite that same level of just like, oh my God, this movie is going to fucking blow you away uh that that some other movies do so i'm i'm rooting for this one i i hope that it gets picked up because uh, i think more people need to give it a shot so that was chicken house by kate jones definitely check it out and that finally brings us to the last of our chattanooga film festival feature films and guys we're ending on what i think is a high note one of my favorites of the fest and i feel like a very very appropriate one to end on because the end is the beginning as we go through the door to talk about giving birth to a butterfly <laughs> giving birth to a butterfly you know i really should be scrolling as i'm doing all of this uh, <laughs> prep stuff uh all right here we go giving birth to a butterfly directed by theodore schaefer after having her identity stolen a woman and her son's pregnant girlfriend bond together on a surreal journey as they attempt to track down the perpetrators technically accurate so not prepping you for what the movie actually is uh yeah we we all saw this one and uh i actually ended up watching it twice because dan you and i did a q a yeah. 
with um with the co-writers and director and um one of the leads uh and that was a blast i i i love talking to people about their art and i love talking to people about what they create and so it was a lot of fun uh we have recorded not yet released another interview with them where we dove even deeper than we did in the uh in in the q a session and i just something about this movie was so heartwarming and so genuine and i i felt for every single one of these characters and they were all flawed and you know some of the characters i didn't like but i didn't I didn't not like the character. It was like, you seem like a very real person that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I like, I would not like character. you in real life. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> like I would not want to spend time with you in real life, but you seem like a real person that is complex and not just a one note. Oh, you're a jerk, but like a, mm-hmm. you know, I understand why you're a jerk. That doesn't make it okay for you to be a jerk to your wife. But I mean, I, I understand. I and yeah. yeah, it's, and it was so, this movie was 77 minutes, but I felt like I got so much more out of this movie. And, and maybe it's just because the, the way that the film was, uh, was structured to where just about every single scene was highly intentional leading you to the end. So that when you mm-hmm. finally get to the end and you realize like, Oh, Oh, that's what happened. And you go back and think about all of the other stuff that was leading up to it. Like all of that groundwork was there in a way that you, you probably could. It was a very well crafted film. Incredibly well crafted. Uh, shot on 16 millimeter. So it, once again, like it had that very realistic feel because it didn't feel like an overproduced, you know, it, it uh, as, as much as I adored bitch ass, that super <laughs> wide screen, like it made it feel much more epic than it was. <laughs> Giving birth to a butterfly is you know like the was it a four by three i I don't know the exact aspect ratio but you know it was it was in 16 millimeter and so like the entire movie looked like you were watching like an instagram reel uh but not in a bad way not in like a it looked cheap way but in a this feels like someone's home movie documenting just life and their lives Mm -hmm. were interesting and their lives were like not overly complicated and i think that's one of the other things that i love so much is this movie was not trying to make it overly dramatic you know yeah. like the the conflict between the husband and wife he wasn't like abusing her or being the worst to her or he was just no. just just kind of a little selfish and just like but he wasn't all bad all the time it was just you got just enough of like oh i get why they're unhappy i get why mm-hmm. i get it and I, I love that it was not overdone. I love that it was not overly melodramatic. It felt so just kind of like, yep, yeah, this is life and we deal with it. And sometimes it sucks and sometimes it's okay. And sometimes, you know, you meet some crazy fucking twins um, in, <laughs> old, in an old house and it's okay. This movie is so, so heartwarming. Like of all of the ones that I watched, this is one of the ones that is very quickly towards the top of my list of it. It feels like a comfort food movie. Like I just want to watch it again right now. Just, just cause, you know, cause it's, it's simple, but a good simple. And I, I, I've said too much. Ah, I'm going to stop talking so that one of you two can say more about giving birth to a butterfly. 
because I love this movie too much and I need to stop. Well, I mean, I, I it's tough. It's like we've although the audience has not heard all we've had to say. I feel like we've all had so much to say about this film already. Um, but it's I definitely if you're a fan of you know david lynch type films not maybe this doesn't get quite that weird but it's it's got some early lynchian feel to it you know yeah. maybe not as odd as a racer head but it has that kind of you know giving it all they got to put, and you know everything's going up on that screen and yeah. you can tell the choices they made were made for very good reasons um, I, yeah, it's an incredibly interesting film. I don't want to give much away about it because that's half the fun is discovering what it's really, really about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, God, I, adore, I adore this movie. The more that we talk about it and like when, when I first watched, I was like, oh, this is really good. Eric, you should definitely check this one out. I really think you're going to like it. And then uh, we did the q and I was like, oh, shit, I need to prep. And so I watched it again. Mm-hmm. I was like, I really like this movie. And then we talked about it. It's like, I, I really, really like this movie. And then we did the interview with him. And it's like, I fucking love this movie. So the <laughs> more that we talk about it, the more it just grows on me. So, uh, yeah, all, all that I'll say, and I'll stop here so that uh, Eric can give his two cents. And then we can wrap this episode up because this has already been a very long episode. This movie. This is the kind of movie that I feel like more movies need to be where there is just a story being told and it is just bringing you into that story without, you know, tons of car chases and tons of explosions or ton of like the melodramatic, everyone yelling at each other. It, this doesn't, this doesn't have the spectacle to, oh. to make you like, it, it's not trying to, to blind you with spectacle. It's just, here's a movie. Here's a story. These are people and and uh, um, related to this, we talked about this during the interview. But one of the co-writers, dude, your wrapping up needs to be wrapping. Up. I know one of the co-writers <laughs> is a poet, and so this has that very poetic feel, but not like in that sort of iambic pentameter. But just a, yep, we're just telling a simple, simple story, very poetic. I adore it. Now I'm going to shut up, Eric. Give your two cents. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love this movie. Uh, it's got lots of monologues, shot in sixty millimeter. It looks gorgeous phenomenal cast um i love that it's uh it's it's just a character first film that's just about people interacting with one another and about the relationships with one another and about what they discover about themselves and each other and um it's it's a very vague way to put it i think it's surreal but it's done in this very uh, matter of fact kind of way where it's not uh not necessarily drawing attention to how surreal it is i guess it's not like trying to be very in your face about it or um, they're not trying to make that like the calling card of the film in some way. It just feels like a very um, natural extension of the world that they've built. Um, and yeah, it's, it's incredibly unique and I can't say I've ever seen another movie like it. So I highly, highly recommend it. I love it. Yep. Hey guys, guess what? That, we're done. We're done. <laughs> we are done. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love chat but holy shit. <laughs> it's like running a marathon. It <laughs> it is. We have just talked about uh let's see. We have done th- this is just our general. So not even including the interviews that we've either done or about to do. 
three episodes, roughly six plus hours, uh, 39 shorts, at least five events that we attended that we talked about, but also most of the events uh, we, we uh, at least you know touched on a little bit, and then 33 fucking feature films that we have just gone through and given people reasons as to why they need to watch them, why they need to support and love Chat Film Fest, and why they need to, uh, to show up next year. Because, man, even just this tail end of the episode... We talked about a documentary about metal and horror. We talked about just a super heartwarming, super simple, but incredibly well-crafted uh, just you know, story of life and, and a sci-fi underground whodunit. Like the, the breadth of what you're going to be able to see at Chat Film Fest is just amazing. And I, I love, love, love that that is the way that uh, Chris and his team approach the festival is let's give everyone an experience let's give them unique cinematic experiences that they might or might not ever be able to see again so yeah chat film fest fucking good on you guys i i love you <laughs> and cannot wait for next year when i'm gonna have to set aside another week <laughs> to watch movies and not sleep then yes yeah. and then three weeks to podcast about it <laughs> <laughs> look dude <laughs> there's a lot uh oh and uh yes uh robert just uh posted this in the uh the chat which thank you for reminding us uh chattanooga film festival was just voted one of the top 25 coolest festivals by movie maker magazine so um, yep. so there you go it, it's official that's well cool, earned well deserved yeah absolutely. cool film fest it's to go to fucking rules we are very lucky to be even a small very small cog in this machine exactly we love you. All right. We also love sleep. So we are going to wrap this up. And um, yeah, be sure to keep coming back. But wait, no, I say that at the end. I say that after we do things. Dan, where do you want people to find you? Uh, Twitter, HBO to front row and HBO to front row.com. And Eric, where do you want people to see your cool? You know what? I was trying to tie into the things that we were just talking about that that fell flat. Where do you want people to find you, Eric? Where, where do you I want mean, people to look at your cogs? There we go. Twitter cocoon. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, that's not what I was expecting at all, but sure. Uh, Twitter, the Chimerican, T-H-E-C-H-I-M-E-R-I-C-A-N. Instagram, Chimerican Reviews. Uh, Letterboxd at Eric J-A-Y. And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle. That is G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because it's a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. My personal Letterboxd is where I log everything that I'm watching. The Video Monsters Letterboxd is where I will eventually, once I have time. Have I mentioned on this episode that I've got two kids and I don't sleep because I have to stay up watching movies? Uh, where I will eventually, once I make the time for it, go through and catalog all of the uh, the episodes that we've done as the reviews in Letterboxd. And if you uh, liked this episode, uh, make sure to go back and check out the other General Chat Film Fest episodes that, uh, that we've just done. And be sure to keep coming back as we have a whole lot of interviews where we are going to dive even deeper into some of the movies that we loved, both features and shorts. And uh, the ones that uh, have been completed so far have been an absolute blast. I, I just did one uh, the other day with Joe Badon, Badon, Badoon. 
don't know how to pronounce his last name and he kept telling me like five different answers during the episode <laughs> so joe this is on you it's multiple choice it's yes it's uh it, and the, the best part is he told me before the episode how to pronounce it and then when i said it that way he immediately told me that it was wrong so oh, that's amazing that was a I, really that was amazing <laughs> it was such a great way to start things we got really really deep we might or might what not. a joker we got into like some super existential shit. So, uh, so, so many great things coming up oh, just on our Chatham Fest. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think you're going to like it. I'm trying to wrap things up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the interviews, be on the lookout for those. Keep coming back. And then after we wrap up all of our Chat Film Fest episodes, we have so much more coming up. Musicals and Korean cinema and Australian cinema and so much more because that, that's what we do. We watch movies and then we talk about them with vigor and stupidity. All right. That's been it. No, not it. Join us in Discord. God bless. <laughs> Join us in Discord. Scroll down wherever you are listening to this in the description. It's the return of the king of episode endings. Discord. Link is in the description. Click on it. Join us. Then like and subscribe wherever you are currently listening to this. And with that, that's been it for this episode. Jesus Christ. That's been it for this episode of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, but have stopped taking ourselves seriously so long ago. Good night, everybody.